Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. Hey folks, and welcome to this week's episode of The Prestige, a podcast for film lovers by film lovers. Before we go any further, guys, we just want to put up at the head of the show that we completely appreciate that the movie that we're talking about this week, the director of it, has been accused of some serious sexual crimes, as has the star. Whilst we will talk about the movie and we may give it good reviews, we in absolutely no way condone the actions of these men and condemn them with the strongest possible terms. That being said... On with the show. Each week, guys, we pick a movie, we talk about the movie, we review that movie, we give some of the themes and ideas that movie talks about. And who are we? My name is Rob. I spent many years of my life studying film, and then many more years of my life making movies. Everything from tiny, low-budget horror movies you've never heard on, all the way through to Oscar-winning Hollywood productions. And my co-host, my co-pilot on this journey is Sam. He has been educated more than any human man should be he has doctorates and masters and all these kind of things he is an english lecturer he is a writer on culture and literature and graphic novels and i have read his book but i didn't understand a lot of it it's sam each week guys we end the show with further recommendations things we link somehow to our movie of the week and that's at the end but first of all we have our what else we've been watching so sam what else do you have for us that you'd like to talk about since we last spoke Slightly in the vein of last time, I've been looking for things with which to switch my brain off. Slightly up one on the cerebral stakes from the great big power fight last time. Um, I found that Deadpool has recently come onto Netflix, so I watched that. Well, I watched the first half of that again last night, and I forgot just how great it was, and it was refreshing in. 2016 at the height of a seeming glut of superhero films to have one that really didn't take itself seriously and from the opening credits um, essentially ripping it out of the director and producers and stars it, it was it was a lot of fun so I really liked Deadpool and I was glad to see that Excellent, excellent. I must say I haven't seen that in a long time and I haven't seen the sequel. It's on my list to get through. It's good. The, the sequel is not as good as the first one, but is better than a lot of other sequels. It's, it's really quite good. It's also better than a fair few superhero films as well. So it's well worth watching. Fair enough. Unfortunately, these days that's not a hard bar to clear, really, that one for better than that. In my classic sense i've watched a lot of films i'm only going to talk about two this week but i have watched some really good films in the last uh, two weeks but the two i'm talking about are first of all the 2003 film memories of murder this is a korean crime drama i suppose or police procedural drama uh, very much in the vein of zodiac it is about the tale of a two mismatched detectives trying to solve a serial rapist and murder uh, murderer um, in the provinces of Korea. It's brilliant. It is by Bong Joon-ho, um, who we have talked about before on this show. Um, Sam particularly is a big fan of Okja, um, and obviously he won the Oscar recently for Parasite. 
Um, so this is one of his big breakup movies. It's very, very good. Um, and if you haven't seen it, if you haven't watched it, I really recommend, especially if you do like his later work. Um, the links, I believe, from this to Parasite are very, very clear. I saw, I saw your um, the screenshot that you posted online from it, and I thought I looked at the lead actor and thought, "Is is that song Kang Ho? Am I just being really racist?" <laughs> it is. But it is. Well done. Um. <laughs> Um, my second film is a wild departure for me and that is it is a recent anime movie I do not overly like anime Um, sorry interview it's not a thing that I like there are the classic I've seen Akira I've seen Ghost in the Shell all that kind of stuff Um, but the characterizations of anime characters not one that I often gel with that being said I am part of some online movie roulette groups where they recommend a film to you and i've recommended the film from last year weathering with you which is the tale of a tokyo that is constantly being rained upon and two young people one of which is a sunshine girl who can pray and receive sunshine and it is half awkward teen love story half supernatural fantasy um I don't want to say too much because it is one that you kind of got to go into it blind. I will say I didn't quite get on too much still with the characterization, with the um, the way that the anime presents characters and their emotions, but it was stunningly beautiful. Um, it was just the scenes of Tokyo, the scenes of the rain falling in Tokyo, um, the sort of the long shots of the area. It was just such a beautiful movie, and I don't know. If it's available, generally I believe you can buy it on Amazon, which is where I got hold of it. Um, but I don't know if it's for streaming anywhere. But it was just absolutely beautiful. And it feels weird to recommend anime movie because it's just not my cup of tea. But this one was a recommendation out of the blue, and I'm really glad I stuck with it. So yeah, weathering with you. Well, Rob has already mentioned that the film we're going to be talking about this week has a couple of reasons that you might not want to stick with us for this so a repetition of that if you not particularly on board with um us talking about something that was um a breakout role for kevin spacey and also um a production of brian singer then by all means stop listening now but our film this week is the 1994 film the usual suspects There is a crime. There is a motive. I want to know why. 27 men died on that pier for what looks to be $91 million worth of dope that wasn't there. Usually, when there is a lineup, there's only one real suspect. This whole thing was a shakedown. And there's no way they'd line five felons in the same room. But this is not the usual crime. 
This is not the usual motive. He was in the harbor killing many men. Kaiser Sose! He saw Kaiser Sose. And these are not the usual suspects. Keaton. I'm a businessman. McManus. There's nothing that can't be done. Hockney. What, you got a team of monkeys working around the clock on this? Fenster. Flip you. Flip you for real. Verbal Kint. Roger, really. People say I talk too much. He doesn't know what you want to know. I don't think he does. Not exactly. But there's a lot more to his story, believe me. In a world where nothing is what it seems. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled. He's here. Was convincing the world. I know, he's here. He didn't exist. You've got to look beyond. The usual suspects. I'm smarter than you. And I'm going to find out what I want to know, whether you like it or not. I work for Kaiser Soze. He feels you owe him. He does not expect all of you to live, but those of you who do will have $91 million. It was Kaiser Soze, Agent Kuyan. I mean, the devil himself. I'm telling you, it's Kaiser Soze! There is no Kaiser Soze. Keaton always said, I don't believe in God. I'm afraid of him. Well, I believe in God. And the only thing that scares me is Kaiser Sose. Usual Suspects is in the traditions of noir film. Um, you might call it neo-noir because it's updated to the 90s. Um, it's a mystery thriller. You don't really know what's going on as it proceeds, but it centres around a shootout, a central shootout at the docks um, and the story of the, the cripple, he's described as Verbal Kent, played by Kevin Spacey, and also the actions of a mysterious figure called Kaiser Sose. It has a huge and very well-known twist, and if you don't know that twist, then where have you been for the past 24 years? Also, if you don't know that twist, then go away and watch the film now. So yes, in essence, that that is the film. Rob, your thoughts on the usual suspects? The usual suspects is a five star movie. It is to me one of the greatest heist movies. It is brilliantly constructed. It is a house of cards, beautifully stacked up. It is hands down brilliant. It is one of the first films that Sam and I sort of watched together as kids i remember i'm gonna tell a story here guys as 16 year olds i think it was we finished our gcc's and we had a 24-hour movie marathon and my strong recommendation for this was the suspects and we watched it and we had a friend with us called ian who had never seen it anything about it um i think sam had seen it at this point and we watched it and all the way through sam's and ian was like i mean it's good it's, it's, it's fine, it's good, nice, nice, it's fine until about 10 minutes left and suddenly it's like <gasps> and then the giant twist at the end happens and this is a film I've seen many times over the years and I think it does hold up on rewatchings. many films with twists, like we watch it again like well, now I know the twist, it doesn't work 
Whereas now, now you never twist. It's still a great story. It's still a wonderful, mm. brilliantly acted story, um, and brilliantly written. And every character has like sometimes the thinnest of sketches of a character. They all feel lived in, and the world feels real. So yeah, like I think it feels brilliant. Um, I will obviously, as I say, it's been tainted a little bit in recent years with everything going on. But the last we say of that, I think personally, it's a brilliant film. What about you, Sam? Yeah, I love this film, and I'm. Um echo what you say actually I I mean I obviously I've see I think I've probably seen this film not hundreds of times maybe sort of three or four times and I haven't seen this film in a good 20 years and I knew exactly what was coming and it really didn't matter and it was really enjoyable seeing the way that Spacey plays with Dave Kuja, or Verbal Kent plays with Dave Kuja, and so you can see him weaving this story, and, yeah, okay, it's, it's intended to fool the audience on first watch, but that, I mean, the fact that I wasn't part of that, it didn't feel I missed out. It feels sometimes that these films based on the twist are... Um, they're designed for people watching it for the first time, and if you're not, if you know the risk, then you're kind of missing out. Um, so th- there's no real point in watching it after that, like you said. And it really feels like he is sort of smiling at the camera throughout, although he's not, but he's sharing with the audience this experience of constructing a story. And for me, I think that's, for me, particularly where it ties into this larger heist movie theme that we're looking at we talked about the sting we talked about with that about how a scene we were shown we weren't given all the information about so we were shown this scene of him meeting the fbi agents and the film wasn't lying to us but the characters were it this film the film's actually lying to us and that for me is the evolution of the genre as we're seeing it this film there is, it shows us scenes that just aren't true. And it's not a mm. case of an unreliable narrator in the same way of that Russian one, where we're having different views on the same situations. The narrator is actively lying to us, actively lying. Mm. And that, to me, I, I think, A, it's a brilliant narrative conceit to have the whole film essentially be a lie, a tale spun out to... No, put the people off the course, buy out some time to leave and post bail, all these sort of things. It's, it's elaborate yarn, but it's all a lie. And as an audience, we get to the end and we discover that as much as they have, as as um, Kint has fooled the agent, they also fooled us. Because to this day, I still I watch it and I buy into it. I buy into all the characters of Keaton and yeah. Manis and Fent. Like all the, you believe all these things, and I know it's not true because I've seen this film loads of times. But you still buy into it, and the reveal at the end is still as powerful because the film lies to us, and that's a new, I suppose, a new formula a new form of of this movie is them actively saying well that didn't happen that didn't happen so rather than being 
you aren't getting all the information here. This person isn't who you see, who they say they are. You know, which you still see, you see in films like, you know, now you see me to this day, hiding like that. There's still somebody in it who like, oh, it turns out they're on that as well. But I can't mm. think of many other films that just genuinely lie to us. And we mm. like them for it. Because it isn't handled like, it isn't a gotcha. Yeah. It isn't a case of like, aha, he lied and now fooled you. It's, it's kind of like, I'm trying to think of a great number. It's kind of like those magic eye pictures. That you take a step back and you see all the pieces working and it's just as good. You know, or like yeah. the last piece of a jigsaw yeah. going in. Like the process is fun, but putting it in something else. Yes. And it's... I'm thinking, thinking about this film, I'm thinking about it thematically, and I've suggested use of ideas about deception and lying, and I'm going going to come at you with something completely different now. Um, on You're going to have to think on the hoof, but it seems to me what this film is all about is creating this story. Mm. And it's not just the story for Dave Gujan, it's the story for the audience. And that seems to me, like I so said, that, that is why it's so enjoyable for us. Because, I mean, we've had the whole film created for us. I absolutely agree. I think that the film is about stories in many ways. It's about people trying to write their own stories and apply their own stories. Kujan has gone into this with a story he wants confirmed. He wants Keaton to mm. be Kaiser Soze. And so he is trying to make that story happen. Keaton himself, if we are to believe it, is trying to rewrite his story. He's a corrupt cop who's now trying to rewrite his life as a restaurateur. And it's the film, for being an action heist movie, does feature some incredibly long monologue people. And particularly mm. Pete Bottleswit, who plays an amazing Kobayashi um, character, who he tells all this story about what will happen, who people are, and what's going to happen. To people. And this film's all about people telling their own stories and what they are. And is it is a story. It is Kint telling this story. But he says, as Dart, they call me verbal because I talk too much. And then yeah. he spins this yarn out. And I think it's very interesting that in a film that's about stories, about telling a story, the lineup, the start, the pivotal lineup that gives it the post and everything is a verbal one. It's not, it, they are, they are yeah. once again telling a story about what they say. And you're like, yeah, it's a clear, you know, the, the, the literal inclusion of Bino de Toro makes it hilarious because obviously his thick accent means it can't be him and other people. But it's still just these stories they're telling. Mm. And it, you know, it's also, I mean, it's, it's also, the, it's the words, but also the stories that they portray, it's the acting, you know, Kint portrays himself as weak, cowardly, and he does that through physicality, playing on Kujan's, mm. I suppose, prejudice. He looks at Verbal Kent and thinks, well, you're, you're weak and small, and he's to say to him, you know, you're gullible and stupid. And he's presuming yeah. that from the story that Kent is telling him through his portrayal and his actions and his words and all of those kind of things. Um, and I think... Yeah, and it seems like, like what he's doing... Effectively, what Verbal is doing throughout this film is just putting two fingers up at Dave Kujan and saying, you underestimated me because you're discriminating against me because I'm disabled. And then it turns out Verbal Kent's doing that mm -hmm. to the audience as well. Like, everyone everyone watching has discriminated against him and thought, well, he can't do it because he's mm. crippled. 
So and and Kevin's Kevin's um I I know this is a strange thing to say, but I'm I'm really sad that that came to light. And Kevin Spacey is mm. like that because he's just such a phenomenal talent. He's just amazing. I think it's possible to mourn these things as well as be indignant in the fact that it happened as well. But I think mm. I think one thing that yeah. really struck me this time because like. I don't know if you watch films over and over again, different things strike you. One thing that really struck me is that in the stories where they're saying, you know, Hockney used all this and Fenson used all that, whenever they get to verbal, it's always, and we hear tell of someone being taken in a conference trick by a cripple. And mm. that they never, they always use those words to describe him and they never say his word name. Whereas everyone else in that in in the room gets name checked for their crimes, or it's always yes. he always gets the physical description then that doesn't name check him, and that's where I think this story thing comes in. If you if we are to believe that Kint is Kozoze, he has all these stories. Well, I, this is the character I play of Verbal Kint, and any confidence trick by a person who people think is disabled, I can just claim it myself. And it, the whole mm. thing from start to end is it's brilliantly, as I say, it's House of Cards. Maybe like, like a clockwork thing he puts together. And it's just so effortless and brilliant. And I, I was thinking on on that yeah. note, when um, Kobayashi threatens them all or says, if you don't do this, then harm will come to Edie and your your nephew and he says verbal's father but he doesn't give him his name right so you get verbal's father is just quite mm. general and then he specifically names the nephew and names ed and name names everyone else he's going after but verbal is just sort of general so there's a little bit of a clue there as to i mean kevin spacey the, the character verbal thinking of this would think, well, I'm not going to be quite so specific about my own, the way that I am targeted. Viewing the movie, the whole movie as a tale being told, one thing I really loved about the Kobayashi character is that he's earlier described as a limey. Redfoot calls him a limey, uh, which for those who don't know, mm. is like a slang for a Brit, basically. But he has a Japanese name and speaks with an Indian accent. But he's still yeah. played by Pete who is a British they come. He reminded me, actually, in that sort of not quite a racially indeterminate way, it reminds me of um, Ben mm-hmm. Kingsley, who is himself, actually, he was, was born in India, so he is kind of, sort of have, has claims on... Um, an Indian identity and and thus of him playing Gandhi wasn't really cultural appropriation um, but it, it was that same thing of someone incredibly British who just comes across as quite mm. foreign in some indeterminate way but you're right I, n- I never I never thought about that but you find out afterwards that Verbal just got a name Kobashi from Dave mm. Goon's coffee cup but you think, well, actually, if I'd stopped to think about that, that would have been completely ridiculous because you've got three nationalities there and they don't intersect at all. And none of it 
not that match that, but you just go along with it because you just love the story. Exactly, and there's so many things where, like, you look back at you, like, he talks about being in a, a barbershop quartet in Skook, Illinois and picking dry beans in Guatemala. It's like, these are elaborate stories that bear no relation to, like, this person, like, who you see, like, what if this person is as disabled as he appears to be, how is he making a living picking coffee beans? Mm. And I'm not saying people can't do that, but like it's when you see the strings being pulled, you can very much see him sort of, at times really flying but his pants. Mm. It's that you know it's, that imp- it's, it's an improv story he's telling, and so, so, so that's why some of the inconsistencies of him, like him killing the uh, dealer. Like the character is a bit of a change there, and the characters make choices that you don't quite understand. A, you go along with it because of the brilliance of the writing, but B, once you see all the, the pieces in place, you're like, well, yeah, he just he made this up as he went along. You know, he tied it to a few real things happened, and I think I like the fact the film never, ever, ever explains what was real. Because at a certain point, like they obviously had the explosion on the ship, but they can probably track down these people like, like where like the the dealer who got hit and all that sort of stuff and they if they say that eddie finiston was called in for this deposition hearing so surely there is a lawyer called kobayashi or a lawyer somewhere and it's just like he knows what can be verified and strings all this stuff between them beautifully mm. well, we, we talked about a magic trick before and there is i mean just something amazing about the extent to which he plays that magic trick on the audience. He's got everyone. He's he's a puppet master for everyone, for the characters in the film and also for people watching it. And there's just that moment when he gets in the car at the end and you just see that Pete Postlethwaite is the only real character. And you just flash back. You have that Dave Kujan moment. When you go back, you think... None of that was real. Mm. And then you look at Kobayashi and you think, his name's not even Kobayashi. He got that name from a coffee cup. Yep. What is what is real anymore? I just don't understand. It's brilliant. It's so it's so well done and it's so perfectly pitched in that level. Like, you know, I we saw this film I'm twenty years ago. Mm. Um, yeah. And I've seen this film easily 10, 15 times and I still get new things out of it. I still have lovely moments that I like. I like there's a really lovely moment in which I think um, it's, I think it's Hockney who dies, gets shot, shot in the chest. Yeah. Um, and he turns towards the camera and there's this real light that shines his face out of nowhere. And it's never yes. really explained. And I like, it's that feeling of he sees the light. Yeah, he works out if if it has to be a real thing, really. Because he sees the light of who killed him, of who Kaisoze is, and if we had the team, the lie. But then once again, it's the lie. Like it's just like it's so. It it's lies all the way down. But you know, even if we are to take the idea that the story he tells is true, let's, let's take that as that everything he says is true then he is still conned everyone else in that party. Mm. He's still conned Keaton. He was still a lion. Even if he isn't Kaisoze, even if he's just a con man who has conned all these other criminals and got away with the money, he still he still conned them and everything else just ancillary. And it's just so... 
It's like so that, an elaborate Rubik's Cube in your mind of working it out, and I just like it. So that's, so you reckon he could not be Kaiser Sose? I, I think the film, I don't know. Mm. The film does hint, obviously, with the um, facts of the picture um, of uh, who was sent over um, by the burnt guy in the hospital. Mm. It heavily points to that, and there's the lovely moment in which you see at the start which we presume to be true, the death of Keaton at the start of the movie. Um, you see the lighting, you see the gold watch, um, which then come back at the end and he picks them up from um, mm. holding and leads them. So the film is very much saying he is Kaiser Soze. Um, and I'm happy to believe that. Um, and that is my truth from this movie. Um, but I like the idea that everything he said could also be true. Yeah, Name, names changed here and there, and you know, change. Mister Jones became Redfoot, and other things like Skokie, Illinois, and that could just be flavour. But the story itself is true, and he conned all the people, and he used these other four criminals to get him on that boat. I see. Yeah, and like it's just like I don't know, and the film doesn't tell me, and the film remains interesting despite that. And you know, was Kobayashi in on it, and he. You know, Kint played along and they did all these things and everything that happened happened but it was about Kint becoming available to get on that ship or is the whole thing a lie and I just don't know mm. that's really I not about it's really interesting that he could and you're right there's there's criminal genius in that as well even if he wasn't kind of associated so to have got $93 million out of four other men and basically walked away with it and persuaded everyone that he wasn't the one at fault mm. is is just amazing in itself. And that itself is a heist. And if, let's say, he isn't Kaiser Soze and he's just a criminal, then he's put everything on this trail. If, if Kujan sees through it and now trying to hunt down Kaiser Soze, then I find him because he's not It's like, it's just this... Rubik's Cube of mm. possibilities and it becomes this very wonderful mental exercise to turn it all over and try and see it from a new perspective and say well is this bit true is that bit true if that's true then what else is true yeah um, and I I still very much think that as an experience mm. so Rob do you have any not that anything compares but do you have any recommendations based on the usual suspects I do I've got a couple first up um, Gabriel Byrne plays Keaton in this and he's an actor who I always feel could have been a leading man and never quite made it um, he's always been very very good in everything I've seen him but he's never really made it to the big leagues of like becoming a star I think it could be um, and he is in a film that I really like that is kind of forgotten this days and that's the 1998 movie enemy of the state this is a will smith let's say techno conspiracy action movie um in which the government spies on a man and basically it's it's a indictment of a industrial military surveillance state um set in modern um sort of modern america will smith gene hackman are sort of the main uh two but Gabriel Byrne is in it um, and he's very good in it and he shines in the scenes he's in um, and the film itself is one that in the day and age we live um, it's weird watching it because now social media is a huge part of our lives and it isn't at this point in time but 
the theories and ethics are still as as important as they ever were. My second recommendation um, is via the writer. The writer of the movie is uh, Chris McQuarrie, who I think takes the lion's share of the credit for this movie. It is so well plotted and so well planned out. Mm. Um, He's gone on to do a lot of big things, including the Mr. Bustle films. Um, But he made a movie, I think, just after called The Way of the Gun with Benny Cotetoro comes back um, and Ryan Philippe and Juliette Lewis. It's a very 90s cast. Um, It's, once again, a sort of tale of gangsters and criminals and uh, kidnapping, hijacking, go wrong, and a rant situation. It's lost to the sort of the times of movies. But once again, it's a really well-written movie. It's got really lovely twists and turns and great characterizations sort of told in very quick flashes of character history. So, yeah, Way of the Gun. It's very much forgotten. I don't know where you can see it these days. It's telling me on Amazon Prime. So go see it there. What about you, Sam? Brilliant. I have two... Um, the first one is is, is just really good, um, and I remember twenty fifteen not being an amazing year for films, but this was really good, um, and it's the first. There is subsequently a sequel which I haven't seen, but it's Sicario, and directed by Dennis Villeneuve, Emily Blunt. Josh Brolin um, and it's incredibly tightly plotted and full of suspense and to do with machinations of international politics and it's far more interesting than that and it has um, Mark Cameron described it as the most tense um, traffic jam ever put on film which sounds really dull but it's not, it's incredibly good so watch it for the traffic jam if nothing else and my second one is we mentioned him a couple of times and I feel like we should do more to um, big up the work of Pete Postlethwaite and I want to talk about the um, First film that I saw him in, I think I think I saw it before The Usual Suspects. Um, not a great film, but still a film that stuck with me from childhood. Is the nineteen ninety six film Brassed Off, and it's very of its time. Um, it's, I mean, I wouldn't really want to watch it again. I, I suppose it is it's very. I can imagine it being very dated now. But his performance as the bandmaster is a very good one. And he went on to do a number of other good things. He was great in Inception. I didn't want to mention another Christopher Nolan film so that, to keep Rob's blood pressure down. Why? People say also, really, I saw him in theatre in Manchester um, a few years before. He died, and he was very good as Prospero in The Tempest and The Round. So people are a brilliant British acting talent. So guys, that was The Usual Suspects. Next week we are jumping forward a through... We're jumping forward a few years and jumping across the Atlantic, and we're picking up with 1998's Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, a debut feature from Guy Ritchie, 
about four East End Cockney London lads and the criminal hijinks they get up to. So we're back here in two weeks with that. Till then, you can find us both online at Precious Podcast. You can find just me at life underscore academic. And you can find just me at FM. If you like our show, guys, we'd really appreciate a review or a comment wherever you listen to it, whether it's Spotify or Podchaser or Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to our show. We'd really appreciate you giving us a review and sharing it with your friends because we think it's lovely and we hope you do too. Till then, we'll see you in two weeks' time. Thank you.